Let me just remind everybody that in the back uh, where I believe I can see my kids sitting, uh, there's a table of muffins. And I believe, if I remember correctly, there are banana muffins, blueberry, which is my favorite, chocolate chip, and chocolate muffins. Okay? Now, we're trying to raise money because the youth is going to take a trip to Japara for our uh, retreat. And when I was trying to come up with the, the theme of this retreat, I told the kids we should call it finally. Because we've been trying to do this for years now. And something always happens and we have to cancel our plans. But finally this year, that's not our theme. Our theme is going to be United. But we're going to go to Japara and spend a, a couple of days there. And we're just trying to raise money for the costs. Um, and so those muffins, if you're interested, uh, that's for you to purchase, okay? And uh, there is a certain cost to that. And I'm sure the youth will let you know what the cost is. And hey, if you want to give more, you're welcome to give more. Praise God. If you have uh, cash with you today, that's fine. But there's also the QR code that belongs to the church. If you just scan that code, you can directly transfer money to the church. But all of it will be used specifically for the retreat that we're going to take uh, at the end of this month, July. And the kids have been asking me, and I think we finally made a, de a determination. For all you parents that are here today, I've already mentioned it in the group chat, but I don't know how well your kids communicate with you at home. But for each person, the cost will be 250,000 rupiah each person. And that will be for Friday night, Saturday night. We're coming back Sunday morning in time to get back here to church, all right, which will be on the 31st of July. So anyway, God bless you as you consider uh, giving in by, by way of uh, eating, eating some muffins. They're good muffins, I can assure you that. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going back into Romans chapter 6 because we're on this wonderful topic, a, a subject that will run through a, a couple of sermons from Romans in chapter 6 and chapter 7. The topic is, the subject is united with Christ. And through chapter 6 and 7, as we are united with Christ, we learn something about the old man, the old master, and an old marriage. Last week we talked about the old man, which is the old you. The old man because we are not to be what we used to be. The Bible says that we have died with Christ, buried with Him. And as a resurrection life, we now live in the life of Jesus Christ, or His life lives in us. And through Jesus, we put to death the old man, never to go back again. Praise God. But we have to learn that we must reckon these things to be true. Not to just know what the Bible says, but reckon them to be true and live accordingly. We talked about grace for the past couple of weeks. And we talked about the fact that grace, yes, it has everything to do with you being saved. By grace... You have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not of your works, lest anyone should boast. By grace we are saved, but in chapter 6 we learn that that grace that saved us is a grace that changes us. God doesn't leave you the way he found you. He wants you to grow. He wants to change you. He wants to mold you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And we made that statement last week that I believe we must ponder on, and that is a grace 
that does not change you is a grace that has not saved you. And so in chapter 6, Paul builds a, like a bridge from saving grace into changing grace for our lives. And we, so we, we look, first of all, that the old man is gone. The old man is dead with Christ, and now we've been raised to a brand new life. We're a new man today, or a new woman, because of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at an old master. Because not only is the old man dead, but that old master has been defeated. And so that's what we're going to, going to read about today. Romans chapter 6, we're reading the second half of chapter 6 from verse 12 to the end, verse 23. Now before I ask you to stand, I just heard about a survey that was just recently taken, I believe in May this year. And the survey asked questions of American pastors. And according to the survey, 37% of American pastors actually believe the Bible is true. 30% of pastors in America actually believe that we should look at the world in light of Scripture that we should have a biblical worldview, to trust what the Bible says, and to live our lives according to what God's Word says. Do you know what that means? It means the rest of the 60-some percent of pastors don't hold the Bible as the Word of God. It's just some good thoughts, good ideas. Maybe it'll help you in life. I ask you to stand when we read because I want you to know we stand upon the Word of God in this church. We live by a biblical worldview, which means we don't listen to what society says or what politicians tell us or what social media teaches us. We live according to God's Word. It is our foundation. It is our rock. And we must stand upon it. If you don't, you're standing on sinking sand. And no matter what you build in life, it will come crashing down. But upon God's word, we stand upon truth. So we love God's word. We honor God's word. They are the very words of the spirit of God. So with that, can we stand together in honor of God's word? And let us pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts by it. Are you with me? Amen? Thank you. Amen. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. These verses are packed full of words. Once again, the theme is united with Christ, and today we're talking about an old master. When you read in the Bible, and you get into Exodus, the story picks up that the Israel, Israelites, the people of Israel were in Egypt for more than 400 years. And for most of that time, they were slaves in Egypt. Now, it didn't start out that way, but eventually they found out just how cruel a master Pharaoh was. And they cried out to the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord heard them. Pharaoh was cruel. He punished them. He worked them hard. And when they began to have children and be fruitful and multiply, he killed those babies that were being born. He hated them. And he wanted to cause them to go into submission to him. And he did it in a brutal fashion. So they cried out. Now, we know the story that the Lord, in response, sent Moses to deliver his people to bring freedom to the children of Israel. But you know, that freedom wasn't going to come to them by having a, a better attitude about their slavery. Freedom was not going to come by the Israelites acting defiantly against Pharaoh and his government. And freedom was not going to come by simply pretending they weren't slaves. No, they needed a real deliverance. They needed a real savior. And what they needed was something supernatural to deliver them. And you know what? That's exactly what they got, isn't it? We read in the story that through the plagues that God sent upon Egypt, Pharaoh finally agreed to let them go. And so all of Israel came out of Egypt, but then they came to the Red Sea, where the Lord led them there. The Red Sea before them, mountains to the left and to the right, and lo and behold, when they looked behind, here comes Pharaoh and all his army. And they were terrified. But something wonderful happened at that Red Sea. It begins by God saying to Moses, all of Egypt, they shall know I am 
the Lord. You know, the Lord in the Bible, it means master. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. All of Egypt, they shall know I am the Lord. And so Israel is there at the Red Sea, and Moses encourages them, we're about to walk forward. The water hasn't even parted yet, but we are going to walk forward and know this, Moses says to them. He says to them, these Egyptians, you shall see them no more forever. Why? Because God is about to destroy that army. And so he parts the Red Sea. And they walk, the Israelites walk through those waters on dry ground. You know, the Bible in the New Testament calls it a baptism. That they went into a baptism. Which, remember what baptism means? It means they died to their old life. God was bringing them through a death. No longer will they be slaves. They are dying to that slavery. And then they came up out of those waters, out of that burial into a resurrection life where they will now follow a new master, the Lord God Almighty. And as the Egyptians tried to follow along in that water, in those, in those parted waters, God crashed those waters together and destroyed the Egyptians. Through the parting of those waters, Israel experienced a death, dying to their slavery and now alive to God the Egyptians experienced a very literal destruction. They were destroyed. God not only delivered his people, he destroyed their old master. And this story so wonderfully pictures what God has done for us. How he has so thoroughly destroyed the old master that we used to serve. Who is the old master? Well, it says that sin was the old master. But it's not only sin who's our master, it's also the one who works through sin to control your life, and that is Satan himself. And the Bible teaches that God has destroyed that old master. He has defeated him, the power that he had against us. And so now in what we read today, we are now to live in this new life to God. Remember, just as Jesus died, was buried, and then he lived again to God. In the same way we die to our old selves, we die to the old master, we are raised, and now we follow a new master. That's what this is about today. This life that we now live, following a new master. And so I want to split up today's verses in three sections. How we live, how we live following a new master. Number one, we're going to talk about persisting in God. Number two, presenting to God. And number three, producing for God. Amen? Let's begin. Number one, persisting in God. Verse 12 and 13. Look at this again. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, 
But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice in these first two verses, there are two do nots. Do you know Jesus gives us commands? Do you know God gives us commands to obey? Do you know that the Christian life is not receiving Jesus and then just sort of letting him do whatever he wants to do? Like we're puppets, like we're robots, just letting loose and letting God do whatever. No, he gives us commands to follow and he expects us to obey. And he gives us two of them right here in these verses. Number one, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Number two, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Do not, he says. That must mean we are able to not let sin reign in our life. And it must mean we are able to stop presenting ourselves to sin and start presenting ourselves to God. Otherwise, God would not give these commandments if we couldn't do it. God expects us. Now, in these verses, he talks about do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And he also says don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Both of these terms, mortal bodies and instruments, I'm sorry, members, is talking about you, you, your body, your mouth, your hands, your feet. He's talking about your body. Don't let sin reign over this body. And also, don't present this body to be used for sin in life. Now, he doesn't go into detail about all that this means, this mortal body, these members but Paul does go into detail in Colossians chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm not going to show it on the screen. Let me at least read it for you. If you have your Bible, it's in Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. But listen to what Paul says and how he describes what these members are capable of. He says, therefore, put to death. It's up to you. Put to to death your members which are on the earth. Okay, what are those members? Paul says it. Number one, fornication. That is sexual sin. That is all kinds of sexual sin. Whether we're talking about pornography or we're talking about pre-marriage sex or we're talking about adultery, homosexuality, Fornication is all kinds of sexual sin. And the very first one that comes to mind in Scripture deals with not allowing your body to get involved in sexual sin. Fornication, number one. He also says uncleanness, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Passion, being obsessed, evil desires, covetousness, being greedy. And all these things lead to idolatry. Because of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked. Once again, it's the old man that did this. Not to be so with the new man. 
in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, verse 8, you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Let me just add one more verse. And have put on the new man. From last week's sermon and what we learned, how many of you have put off the old man and you've put on the new man? Amen? And so in all these things, we are not to give ourselves over. Even though you may have lived in these things before, God's forgiven you. God has made you new. That is now in the past. And God says, now follow me. And as you do, do not go back. Do not keep offering your body to those sinful desires. Now can God give these kinds of commands to a people who are still slaves of sin. Kenny, can God command slaves of sin to stop doing what they're doing? Well, when Israel was in Egypt, slaves to Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, could God have just said to Israel, just don't let Pharaoh reign over you anymore. Just ignore him. Could God have said, don't give yourselves over to him. Don't listen to what the government says. Just ignore it all. Pretend that it doesn't exist. Could God have said those things and it had worked? Do you know, the Israelites living in Egypt for more than 400 years, that means generation after generation after generation being born into slavery and all they know is slavery. That's all they know. Could God speak to slaves and tell them, stop listening to your master? I think not. So first, God needed them to die to their old master. Symbolically, through the waters of the Red Sea. They needed to die, and then God could deliver them from their old master by destroying him. Once Israel left Egypt... They never, ever had to look back over their shoulder and wonder, is he coming back for us? Is he going to hurt us again? Is he going to come and capture us? Is he going to come with chains and steal us away again? They knew it would never happen. Why? Because they're dead. They are destroyed. That life has nothing to do with Israel anymore. They have a new master. And in the same way, the very next verse God says, sin shall not have dominion over you. This is God speaking. No longer does sin reign over you. Over who? Those who have faith in Christ, who have died and have been brought back to life in God once again. No longer does the master of sin reign over you anymore. It's done. Finished. That's not my words. That's not my thinking. That's what God says. So you know what we're to do? 
Reckon these words to be true and act like it. Live like they are true. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Satan no longer has any rule or any dominion over you. The old man died. Amen? And the old master has been dethroned. Praise God. And now for those who believe in Jesus, there is a new master who sits on the throne. We are to reckon these things to be true. And now this is why I say we must persist in this way. We must persist in God. Every day remembering, I died so that I may live for a new master. As Paul said, I die daily. Persistently, every single day, we need to remind ourselves not going back. There's nothing for us there anymore. Sin no longer has dominion or power. We are moving forward. Praise God. Paul says that we are no longer under law, but under grace. Meaning, under the law, all we are is condemned. That's what the law brings to us, condemnation, guilt. We're guilty sinners. But we don't live under condemnation anymore because our lives are hidden in Christ and God's given us grace. We have been forgiven. We've been set free, given a brand new life. Praise God for his life-changing grace. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said something that I think has a lot to do with what we're speaking about here. Jesus was healing all kinds of people with all kinds of infirmities. He was healing people who were possessed by demons. Demons who were masters of the people they were possessing. And Jesus delivered them. Now the Jews claimed that Jesus himself was the devil. If he was able to do this, it must mean he's the devil. And of course, Jesus had to show them the folly of such logic. That makes no sense. But here's what Jesus did say. Mark chapter 3, verse 27. Jesus says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. What does Jesus mean by that? Do you know your old master is a strong master? Just look at the world today. There are slaves of sin all around. I hear so many young people say things like this. I'm not a slave to sin, and I'm certainly not going to be a slave to God. I'm just going to be free and do my own thing, live my own life, do what I want, think the way I want, Call myself whatever I want. I'm free. There's no such thing. What they don't know is they are absolutely slaves of sin. Sons and daughters of disobedience. And they are following the ways of Satan who's working in them through that sin. They are slaves. And that slave master is strong. Too strong for you. You cannot defeat that master. Jesus says, no one can enter that strong man's house, the one who rules over you and controls your members. No one can enter into that house, the house of a strong man, unless that strong man 
is bound. Now who do you suppose came into your life and bound that strong man? Who's done such a thing? Is it not the Lord Jesus Christ? And if Satan is a strong man that we cannot defeat, what does that say about the one who binds up that strong man and then steals back and restores all that's been stolen away from us? Who can do such a thing but the mighty deliverer, the new master, the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus comes to the sinner and he binds up the dominion of sin. He binds up the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, and then Jesus restores your life. Not the way it was, but in a brand new way. Jesus is that mighty Savior. Jesus is that stronger man who comes to bind that strong man, Satan. Amen? Praise God. We have a new master. Amen. Let us persist in God. Number two, presenting to God. A question that we saw last week as well. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Again, again. Grace is not a license to sin. We do not get saved and say, okay, now back to what I was doing before. No. We are being changed. Changed. Conformed into the image of Christ. By no means, Paul says. In some of your translations it says, God forbid. No. This is not to be so. And then Paul says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey. And that master is either going to be sin, and if you present yourselves to sin, it will lead you to death. Or you will present yourselves to obedience, obedience to God, and that will lead you to righteousness. That word presenting, we've seen it a few times already in these verses. The word presenting, sometimes it means that you just present something, like you, you hold something out or you show something to somebody. And to me, I, I think there's a better way of saying it. I like what the older King James Version translation is. The King James Version is yielding. Now that means something more. That's not just showing, it's actually meaning giving over. When you yield, you are submitting and giving yourself over to something or someone else. And that's what the word is here. And the Bible says, the one you yield yourself to, the one you give yourself over to, that's your master. Whether it's sin or it is obedience. God wants us to yield to him, to give ourselves over to him. We were just sharing at the Connect group on Friday night up in BSB, Darius and Lana's house. We had a wonderful conversation about the Holy Spirit, and Lana was just giving her testimony about what happened on the day of Pentecost. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit right in the back room over there. I asked her to explain to everybody, what, what was it like? What, what were you praying? What were you saying? What were you singing? 
And in her remembrance of what had happened, she just simply said, I was just telling Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. And do whatever you want to do in me. You know what that's called? That's called yielding. That's presenting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lana said that in that worship and in that confession, in that giving over of herself, she says, all I know is I started speaking in a different language. Praise the Lord. That's yielding. In the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 7, we also see someone yielding. Solomon says, I looked out my window and I saw a young man who was devoid of understanding, a little bit dumb. And there he goes walking down the street. And he knows that if he keeps on in the direction that he's going, there's a woman who's trying to seduce men to go and visit her in her house. Everybody knows it. She doesn't stay home. She's always walking in the streets looking for whomever will follow her. That young man knew where he was going. He knew what was ahead, but he just couldn't help it. Why? Because he's a slave of sin. And he just wanders down her street. She catches him. She speaks in seducing ways. And then Solomon says, then he yielded to her. He followed her into his house. And the end of the story was, he didn't realize he was being led to his own death. Because hell was waiting for him in that household. That's what slaves of sin do. They're slaves of sin. They don't know how to do anything else but to follow their master, sin, and yield themselves over to that sin. Slaves. But then Paul says, but God be thanked. Amen? But God and God alone be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You believe those words of God that by faith you are justified. That Jesus has taken your sins away. He died and bled for you. And by obeying that gospel call to follow Jesus, God and God alone be thanked for this. God saved you. God took you out of that slavery and made you his very own. And now, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Do you know that when Moses and the Israelites came out of those waters, and those waters destroyed the Egyptians, the first thing Moses did was he led all the people into thanksgiving. To whom? To Moses, who held up that staff? To all the people for being so brave that they walked through those waters on dry ground? No. To the Lord, Master. His song that he sings begins with, sing to the Lord. And the song ends with the words, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. No longer does sin reign, but the Lord reigns over us. That was their song. To God alone we give thanks. Praise the Lord. And now there's something else that satisfies us. No longer are we satisfied by the foolishness of our old life. There's something else that drives us. There's something else that stirs us, and that is to walk step in step with Christ.
to obey, to live according to his word, to live in what's called righteousness. Paul says, I speak in human terms. He's talking about slavery, and it's kind of odd, perhaps, to talk to Christians about slavery. But you know the Romans that he's speaking to? Many of them in the church were slaves. They knew all about what slavery was like. They knew what abusive, brutal slavery was like. Now, Paul is giving this example through these words, slavery and slaves. But of course, there's a difference between that abusive slavery and coming to be slaves of God. We're not abused by God. We're not mistreated. We're not beaten down by God. So Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms just to help you understand. He says, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness that led to more lawlessness, so now present your members, your bodies, present yourselves slaves of righteousness for holiness. Present your lives for God to use as he sees fit. We are to yield, submit ourselves to God. And when we live in such a way, we have victory over the old master. You know, in the Bible, there's a promise in the book of James, resist the devil, resist him, and he will run, he will flee. But before we go doing that, James first says, submit yourself to God. The strength to be able to resist the devil and to walk away from the old master. The strength comes from submitting to God. Humbling yourselves before the new master. Now, there is a topic that I've been asked about many times. And I've never really answered this before. I've never, I've never known quite how to answer this topic. But I feel as though that this verse that we just read has something to say about the topic. It's something I started hearing about five years ago. Every once in a while, somebody would ask me what I thought about this certain thing. But in the last six months, I've been hearing it nonstop. Nonstop. And so maybe it's time for me to say something about it, but according to what God says. Let me take a drink first. The topic is yoga. You know yoga? Not to be confused with that little green man from Star Wars. Yoga. And the question I always get is, Pastor Heath, should Christians do yoga? Pastor Heath, I do yoga. You think there's anything wrong with that? Or Pastor Heath, I've been doing yoga and I, I, there's something about it I don't feel quite right about. What do you think? I've heard this question so many times. And in the past, I, I haven't quite known what to say, but I do believe now there is something we can say about it. And so hear me for a moment. I've heard testimonies in the last few months from people who are now Christian. Most of them are now Christian, I believe. But these people are actually from the realm of yoga, whether it was something they got involved with at their job place or just recreational, whatever it is. And every person I heard testify of yoga, they all say, they've all said, 
without a doubt, yoga is exactly what it means. In that, the word yoga means union. Specifically, union with a universal spirit. And so these people who come from yoga, and they also come from the religions that invented yoga, like Hinduism and Buddhism, and they say without a doubt, what we do when we get involved with yoga, it's a union with some universe spirit. Now, how coincidental is it that this whole series right now is called United with Christ. Our union is with Christ. Now, let me also say that if we're talking about a spirit, some universal spirit out there somewhere, do you know what the Bible calls that? Do you know what the Bible calls gods or idols or spirits or the worship of them? Do you know what the Bible says they are? Demons. Demons. And so if I put that together with what yoga claims to be, why don't they just say yoga means to be united with demons? Well, who's going to say that? Who's going to attract students by telling them that? But setting that aside for a moment, okay? Setting that aside because that's not the scripture verse I'm, I'm, I'm sharing today. Although I will say this, if that's what yoga means, that alone should give us all a reason to pause for a moment. Just pause for a moment and ask the question, am I playing with fire? Do you know what happens when you play with fire? You get burned, okay? But going into our verse that we just read, let me read these words again. For just as you presented your members, your body, as slaves of uncleanness. And there it is right there, that word, uncleanness. What does that word mean? It actually means to have impure motives. It means whatever is motivating you to do what you do, whatever it is, whatever is motivating you, uncleanness means it's an impure motivation. It is something that is in disobedience to the Lord. It is something that's not right. It may be something that's evil. I don't know but it's an impure motive. Now, I, I met a man one time on the first floor sanctuary. This was probably eight years ago. And I, was, I had joined the service, the Bahasa service, on an evening. It may have been a Friday night. And all I remember is as I'm walking out of the sanctuary to leave, I see Pastor Subekti sitting in a chair next to a man. And I noticed that this man kept trying to grab Pastor Subekti by his face. He kept trying to claw at his face. And when I saw it, and there's people around, I kept wondering, why is nobody helping Pastor Subekti? And I felt very defensive about it, and I went over there, and I, I held that man down. What are you doing? And so it turned out that Pastor Subekti was praying for this man, and for whatever reason, this man was really acting out in a very strange way. So I was there to hold him back into his seat. And Pastor Stubecki would pray for him. And just as the man would calm down, I would let go. And immediately he's on the floor rolling around like an animal. Like an animal. 
on his back with his legs and feet and moaning and groaning. And so we would pick him back up, sit him down. I'd hold him. He'd be prayed for. He'd let loose. I'd let go. Back on the floor he goes, crawling around in circles, on his back with his hands and knees and legs up in the air, like an animal. And finally, I had to know, what in the world is this? What happened to him? And I believe the man who was his uncle told us this story. This man has fallen in love with a woman who evidently has not returned the same love. And he has become so obsessed with this woman that he's trying to do whatever he can to have her. So in his mind, I'm going to join Kung Fu. Kung Fu! And through Kung Fu, I'm going to change. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to change my image. And maybe then she'll like me. And as a result of joining Kung Fu, he's crawling on the floor like an animal. Now, it may not be necessarily that we say, see, if you join Kung Fu, you're going to act like an animal, demon-possessed on the floor. No, I think it's something deeper than that. This man had an impure motive. He was obsessed with this woman. He was obsessed with trying to please her, obsessed with trying to gain her attention. And that uncleanness led to him becoming a slave to a demon. Now, why am I saying all this? This word means an impure motive. Listen, if you're here today, and, and I don't know your personal lives, okay? I've been asked about this so many times. Besides what I said before about yoga, the other thing I just want to say to you today is, if you are involved in yoga in, in any way, would you ask yourself with the Lord, Lord, is there an impure motive in why I'm doing what I'm doing? Am I trying to gain attention? Am I trying to look a certain way? Are there achievements I'm striving for that may not be according to your will? Ask the Lord that, and perhaps he will show you impure motives. Now, what does that have to do with following the master, Jesus Christ, being a servant of Christ? Just the other day, I was reading in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, and I came to verse 10, and I had to stop because it really spoke to my heart about what I just talked about. In Galatians, Paul was explaining that he's preaching the gospel, the truth of the gospel, but people don't want to hear the truth of the gospel. They want to hear a gospel that fits them. They want to hear a gospel that sounds good to their ears, not the truth. Give us what we want, Paul. And Paul says this in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Am I trying to bring men to God, or am I trying to say, God, you need to change yourself to fit their requirements? He also says, or am I seeking to please men? Is that my motive? If so, it's an impure motive. Paul says, if I still seek to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Whether we're talking about yoga or anything else, 
Ask yourself, is there an impure motive in me? Why is that question important? Because Paul says right here in the verse, once again, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot seek to please someone by walking away from Jesus the Lord. You're either a servant of Christ or you're a servant to whomever you're trying to gain attention from. Now, if that is you today, listen, don't be hurt by what I just said. Don't be offended. Don't allow what I just said to become a bitterness in your heart. Okay? These are the words of God. Take this from the Lord himself into your heart and examine what God says and allow these things to come into your heart. You know, if you are here today, be honest with me, if you're here today and you do yoga, I'm just kidding, if you're here today and you say, I want my life to follow the master Jesus Christ, who would say that today? Anyone? Lift up your hands. Is that you? Anyone? Please join my sister. Anyone here who would want to give their lives to Jesus Christ? There's three, four people right now. There's five people. Anybody else? Okay, there you go. This is not a trick question. That's a good place to start. If that's your desire, that's a great place to start. Now ask yourself that important question. And let me end this little spiel. If you are angry right now by what I just said, if you feel like, Pastor Heath, how dare you? I'm not praying about that. I don't need to ask Jesus about these things. If that's your attitude, listen, you are in greater danger than you know. Amen. Last, let me finish this up. Producing for God. When you were slaves of sin, verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Yes, remember your past? What fruit did you produce that glorifies God? What are you proud of in your past? What fruit came from your anger, from your bitterness? What holy thing came from those words that you used to speak, from the lifestyle you used to live? What kind of an offering were you able to give to God? None. None. You were fruitless in the eyes of God. All that we produced was sin leading to death. And our last two verses, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot of people don't like that term, slaves of sin. Oh, I'm sorry, slaves of God. That rubs people the wrong way. Slaves of God. Do you know to be a slave of God is to actually, to be truly free? Adam and Eve were free. Free to enjoy the presence of God. Free to walk with God. Free to enjoy Him forever. But then they thought they needed to become free. So they disobeyed Him and they became slaves of sin. And so are we. We are not created to be slaves. We're created to enjoy God, to have Him as Lord, and to walk with Him. 
When a person gets out of the slavery of sin and comes into slavery of God, they can now live the life they were created to live, to enjoy God forever. That's what it means to be a slave of God. Producing the fruit of holiness. It's a joyful life. Because we live as we are created to live. And now we're bringing honor to a new master named Jesus. And as you continue to follow the master, you might find that the world doesn't quite like you anymore because you don't belong to the old master anymore. The world might not like you. The world may not understand you. The world may mock you. I sat in a restaurant in Samarang, and a gentleman, I was sitting with a couple of people, but a gentleman across from me said, wait, you're a pastor? Can I take you to a strip club? Would you be able to do that? I said, no, I wouldn't. Why? Because you're a pastor? I said, it's not about me being a pastor. I wouldn't do it because, number one, Jesus is my Lord. And doing such a thing would dishonor him. Number two, I'm sorry, but I don't have the same passions you do anymore. That doesn't satisfy my life. That was in my past. Those temptations were in my past. I'd never been to a strip club. But those kinds of behaviors were in my past. I'm made new. And you know what I thought about? Because this man had no idea what I was talking about. He had no idea. You know why? Because I was looking at a slave of sin who doesn't even know what, it's mean, what it means to be free from it. I am free. I believe what Jesus said. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? As slaves of sin, we received the wages that we were due. When you sin, you get what you deserve, and that is death. But slaves of Jesus, following the new master, we receive what we don't deserve, and that is everlasting life, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Musicians, please join me here at the front. Let me close with this. The last words Paul uses once again, he's talking about the new master in our life, and of course he ends it with the words, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ, who is God, the Son. The one who humbled himself to become a man named Jesus. And in his humility, he yielded himself perfectly to the will of God the Father. And he died for us. Now he's exalted on high, sitting on the throne of heaven and the throne of your heart. And he is Lord. He is Master. And now Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Don't look that way. Follow me. Amen? Are you following the new master? Let's stand together and sing this song. Brother Andreas, would you lead us in this?